Chapter Twenty Four of A Child's History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, October two thousand seven. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens. Chapter Twenty Four, England under Edward the Fifth. The late king's eldest son, the Prince of Wales, called Edward after him, was only thirteen years of age at his father's death. He was at Ludlow Castle with his uncle, the Earl of Rivers. The prince's brother, the Duke of York, only eleven years of age, was in London with his mother. The boldest, most crafty, and most dreaded nobleman in England at that time was their uncle Richard, Duke of Gloucester, and everybody wondered how the two poor boys would fare with such an uncle for a friend or a foe. The queen, their mother, being exceedingly uneasy about this, was anxious that instructions should be sent to Lord Rivers to raise an army to escort the young king safely to London. But Lord Hastings, who was of the court party opposed to the Woodvilles, and who disliked the thought of giving them that power, argued against the proposal, and obliged the Queen to be satisfied with an escort of two thousand horse. The Duke of Gloucester did nothing at first to justify suspicion. He came from Scotland, where he was commanding an army, to York, and was there the first to swear allegiance to his nephew. He then wrote a condoling letter to the Queen Mother, and set off to be present at the coronation in London. Now the young king, journeying towards London too, with Lord Rivers and Lord Grey, came to Stony Stratford, as his uncle came to Northampton, about ten miles distant, and when those two lords heard that the Duke of Gloucester was so near, they proposed to the young king that they should go back and greet him in his name. The boy being very willing that they should do so, they rode off and were received with great friendliness, and asked by the Duke of Gloucester to stay and dine with him. In the evening, while they were married together, up came the Duke of Buckingham with three hundred horsemen, and next morning the two lords and the two dukes and the three hundred horsemen rode away together to rejoin the king. Just as they were entering Stony Stratford, the Duke of Gloucester, checking his horse, suddenly turned on the two lords, charged them with alienating from him the affections of his sweet nephew, and caused them to be arrested by the three hundred horsemen and taken back. Then he and the Duke of Buckingham went straight to the king, whom they had now in their power, to whom they made a show of kneeling down and offering great love and submission, and then they ordered his attendants to disperse and took him alone with them to Northampton. A few days afterwards they conducted him to London, and lodged him in the bishop's palace. But he did not remain there long, for the Duke of Buckingham, with a tender face, made a speech expressing how anxious he was for the royal boy's safety, and how much safer he would be in the tower until his coronation, than he could be anywhere else. So to the tower he was taken, very carefully, and the Duke of Gloucester was named Protector of the State. 
Although Gloucester had proceeded thus far with a very smooth countenance, and although he was a clever man, fair of speech, and not ill-looking, in spite of one of his shoulders being something higher than the other, and although he had come into the city riding bareheaded at the king's side, and looking very fond of him, he had made the king's mother more uneasy yet, and when the royal boy was taken to the tower, she became so alarmed that she took sanctuary in Westminster with her five daughters. Nor did she do this without reason, for the Duke of Gloucester, finding that the lords who were opposed to the Woodville family were faithful to the young king nevertheless, quickly resolved to strike a blow for himself. Accordingly, while those lords met in council at the tower, he and those who were in his interest met in separate council at his own residence, Crosby Palace, in Bishopgate Street. Being at last quite prepared, he one day appeared unexpectedly at the council in the tower, and appeared to be very jocular and merry. He was particularly gay with the Bishop of Eli, praising the strawberries that grew in his garden on Holborn Hill, and asking him to have some gathered, that he might eat them at dinner. The bishop, quite proud of the honour, sent one of his men to fetch some, and the duke, still very jocular and gay, went out, and the council all said what a very agreeable duke he was. In a little time, however, he came back quite altered, not at all jocular, frowning and fierce, and suddenly said, what do those persons deserve who have compassed my destruction, I being the king's lawful as well as natural protector? To this strange question Lord Hastings replied that they deserved death, whosoever they were. Then, said the duke, I tell you that they are that sorceress, my brother's wife, meaning the queen, and that other sorceress, Jane Shore, who by witchcraft have withered my body and caused my arm to shrink, as I now show you. He then pulled up his sleeve and showed them his arm, which was shrunken, it is true, but which had been so, as they all very well knew, from the hour of his birth. Jane Shore, being then the lover of Lord Hastings, as she had formerly been of the late king, that lord knew that he himself was attacked, so he said, in some confusion, "'Certainly, my lord,' If they have done this, they be worthy of punishment. "'If?' said the Duke of Gloucester. "'Do you talk to me of ifs? I tell you that they have so done, and I will make it good upon thy body, thou traitor.' With that he struck the table a great blow with his fist. This was a signal to some of his people outside to cry, "'Treason!' They immediately did so, and there was a rush into the chamber of so many armed men that it was filled in a moment." First, said the Duke of Gloucester to Lord Hastings, I arrest thee, traitor, and let him, he added to the armed men who took him, have a priest at once, for by St. Paul I will not dine until I have seen his head off. Lord Hastings was hurried to the green by the tower chapel, and there beheaded, on a log of wood that happened to be lying on the ground. Then the Duke dined with a good appetite, and after dinner summoning the principal citizens to attend him, told them that Lord Hastings and the rest had designed to murder both himself and the Duke of Buckingham, who stood by his side, if he had not providentially discovered their design. He requested them to be so obliging as to inform their fellow-citizens of the truth of what he said, and issued a proclamation, prepared and neatly copied out beforehand, to the same effect." 
On the same day that the Duke did these things in the tower, Sir Richard Ratcliffe, the boldest and most undaunted of his men, went down to Pontefract, arrested Lord Rivers, Lord Grey, and two other gentlemen, and publicly executed them on the scaffold, without any trial, for having intended the Duke's death. Three days afterwards the Duke, not to lose time, went down the river to Westminster in his barge, attended by divers, bishops, lords, and soldiers, and demanded that the Queen should deliver her second son, the Duke of York, into his safe-keeping. The Queen, being obliged to comply, resigned the child after she had wept over him, and Richard of Gloucester placed him with his brother in the tower. Then he seized Jane Shore, and because she had been the lover of the late King, confiscated her property, and got her sentenced to do public penance in the streets by walking in a scanty dress, with bare feet, and carrying a lighted candle to St. Paul's Cathedral through the most crowded part of the city. Having now all things ready for his own advancement, he caused a friar to preach a sermon at the cross which stood in front of St. Paul's Cathedral, in which he dwelt upon the profligate manners of the late king, and upon the late shame of Jane Shore, and hinted that the princes were not his children. "'Whereas, good people,' said the friar, whose name was Shaw, "'my lord the protector, the noble Duke of Gloucester, that sweet prince, the pattern of all the noblest virtues, is the perfect image and express likeness of his father.' There had been a little plot between the duke and the friar, that the duke should appear in the crowd at this moment, when it was expected that the people would cry, "'Long live King Richard!' But, either through the friar saying the words too soon, or through the duke's coming too late, the duke and the words did not come together, and the people only laughed, and the friar sneaked off, ashamed. The duke of Buckingham was a better hand at such business than the friar, so he went to the guildhall the next day, and addressed the citizens in the Lord Protector's behalf. A few dirty men who had been hired and stationed there for the purpose, crying when he had done, God save King Richard, he made them a great bow, and thanked them with all his heart. Next day, to make an end of it, he went with the mayor and some lords, and citizens to Bayard Castle by the river, where Richard then was, and read an address, humbly entreating him to accept the crown of England. Richard, who looked down upon them out of a window, and pretended to be in great uneasiness and alarm, assured them there was nothing he desired less, and that his deep affection for his nephews forbade him to think of it. To this the Duke of Buckingham replied, with pretended warmth, that the free people of England would never submit to his nephew's rule, and that if Richard, who was the lawful heir, refused the crown, why then they must find some one else to wear it. The Duke of Gloucester returned, that, since he used that strong language, it became his painful duty to think no more of himself, and to accept the crown. Upon that the people cheered and dispersed, and the Duke of Gloucester and the Duke of Buckingham passed a pleasant evening, talking over the play they had just acted with so much success, and every word of which they had prepared together. End of chapter 24